I'll try. Over the last few weeks, as y'all know, if you've been coming um, to Bemis, we've been going through a sermon series that uh, is called Streams of Living Water. And it's kind of, it's based, it's loosely based anyway, on a book by the same title uh, by a guy named Richard Foster. And I'll just, I'll just give you uh, the, the, real, the real quick rundown of what, it, what it's all about. The basic idea behind this book and behind this sermon series is that there are basically six streams or six traditions, six movements of Christianity that have existed uh, throughout the centuries. And um, generally most churches, most denominations, most movements throughout Christianity have been focused on emphasizing one of these particular streams, one of these particular traditions over uh, the others. Not necessarily in exclusion to the others, but definitely over the others, which we have kind of seen over the last few weeks as we've talked about this. But the basic idea behind this whole thing is, number one, familiarizing ourselves with these different streams, if we're not already familiar, familiar with them, and learning how that we can incorporate the best of these into our own faith and into our own practice. So, so far, we've talked about four of these. We've talked, and, and I'm not going to review. See, I'm wanting to walk away already. I'm not going to review all of these because it would take entirely too long. If you were here, great. If not, you should have come to church. But uh, <clears throat> we've talked about the contemplative stream. We talked about the holiness stream. We talked about the charismatic stream. Last week we talked about the social justice stream. And today I'm going to wrap it up with uh, with these last two streams: the evangelical stream and the uh, incarnational stream. So, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about this last week with the social justice stream because sometimes there can be some weird stuff attached to that whenever we mention that particular phrase. Just the same with the evangelical stream. So let me, uh, me kind of talk to you about this real quick. Like I want you to understand, uh, because that word evangelical has really gotten twisted and it's gotten confused, I would say, especially over the past four to five decades or so, evangelical is a theological term, okay? Evangelical is a theological term. It is not, not a political term. Uh, I know that most often when we hear this word, it's in the context of politics or it's in the context of elections. X amount of evangelicals voted for such and such, right? That, that's, that's generally the way we hear this word being used, especially in the media and everything. So understand this, folks. There are people who follow and people who stress the evangelical tradition all over the world. It's not a voting block that's limited to the United States, and being evangelical does not equate being a part of any kind of particular secular uh, political ideology. Being an evangelical, living and, and practicing the evangelical stream of Christianity goes directly to the heart of the gospel. goes directly to the heart of the gospel, and it's right there in that word, evangelical. Throw up that next slide, Carl. Nope. Should be the one before that. Nope. I want the first slide. The one right after that one. There we go. The idea of evangelical is right there. What an evangelical is, is right there in that word, evangelical. It comes from this word right here. It's euangelion. Uh, it's a Greek word. As most of y'all know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And this is what it literally means, euangelion. Y'all can see the similarities there, even if you don't speak Greek. Word, it, just, it just stands out to you. It literally means gospel, which also literally means good news. So, so the foundation of this whole evangelical stream is right there in that word. It's about the gospel. 
It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it, it refers to movements. It refers to streams. It refers to people today, uh, churches, organizations that are committed to the gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of humanity. At its very foundation, what, that's what the evangelical stream is all about. It's about spreading that good news from one of the most, it's, that, that we find in one of the most often quoted and one of the most well known passages in the New Testament, which of course is in your bulletins, and it's John 3.16. John 3.16 and John 3.17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, if we had to strip it down to its bare bones, the whole evangelical movement, the whole evangelical stream is about this. It's about the basic good news of Jesus. Jesus being the savior of the world and spreading that good news to others. Here's how we... Um, Define the evangelical stream. The first first uh, first week we started talking about this. Head to the next one. Here we go. So this is how we kind of defined it the first week when I kind of gave you an introductory to all this. Focused on the proclamation of the gospel and the authority of Scripture, the evangelical stream highlights the importance again of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, nurturing a personal relationship with Him, and it reminds us of the power of God's Word to transform lives. So that's really the basics, but I want to expand on that just a little bit more. And uh, y'all going to have to bear with me this morning because you, you guys are about to go to seminary, okay? Because uh, I, I don't know any other way to do this uh, other than how we're going to do it. You're going to hear some really weird words, some, some, uh, some big words and that you're not familiar with, but I'm going to try my best to break them down because just because I think it's so important that we understand this, okay? Again, one of the reasons it's important is because that word, this word evangelical gets tossed around so lot, so much, and some people who claim to be evangelical absolutely are not evangelical. Some, some, some people that claim, some groups that claim to be evangelical absolutely are not. Uh, so what defines an evangelical besides this? What defines the evangelical stream besides this little definition that I gave you? And the importance, of course, of spreading the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the best definitions of, of the evangelical movement in this evangelical term came about about 35 years ago, 34 years ago, from a guy named David Bebbington, uh, who, was, who was a church historian, basically. And he came up with this thing that we call the Bebbington Quadrilateral. So basically, the Bebbington quadrilateral, quad mean, meaning what? Of four, right? I know, I know, I know y'all went to pre-algebra. The quadrilateral meaning four different points. So there's four different characteristics that Bebbington identified that are synonymous, basically, with the evangelical stream, with the evangelical Christianity. And here come the big words. Y'all get in a seminary class for free this morning. Number one is Biblicism. Hit that next one. What is Biblicism? Biblicism is a high regard for and obedience to the Bible as the ultimate authority. True evangelicals, true evangelical streams are big on the Bible. Believe it or not, there are some traditions that, 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 that don't necessarily uh, um, counter the Bible, but they just don't take it as seriously as, other do, as other, others do. 
the evangelical stream takes the Bible very, very seriously. It's, it, it, it's, it is their primary authority for faith and for practice. That's the way that our United States, our United States, our United Methodist uh, discipline, our, our expressions of faith actually identify the Bible, is that it, is, it contains everything necessary for salvation and that it is the primary source for our faith and for our practice. So there's a high, there's the, the evangelical stream highly, highly, highly stresses this idea of biblicism, a, 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 very, a very much a, a very devoted uh, life to the gospel, to uh, Holy Scripture. The second thing that identifies the evangelical stream is a ridiculously big word, but it's crucicentrism. I, I tried that so many times before I got up here. Crucicentrism. Crucicentrism. The, 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 the giveaway there being cruci, crucify, crucifix. So it stresses the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as making possible the redemption of humanity. The evangelical stream really, really, really emphasizes the death of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. I would go so far to say uh, they, they really emphasize it over uh, the resurrection. A lot of times you go to some evangelical-leaning churches or atmospheres, and they don't talk a whole lot about the resurrection, even on, even on Easter. The stress, is, the stress there is, so, is very much on the sacrifice and on the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, which is, which is personally fine, all of that's, all, which is fine. Uh, all of that stuff obviously goes together. Uh, but it's just very, very, very much stress. Christ died for our sins. That is a major point within the evangelical stream. Third is conversionism. Y'all can probably figure out what that means. It's the belief uh, that lives need to be transformed through a born-again experience and a lifelong process of following Jesus. Those scriptures that I read a second ago, John 3.16 and John 3.17, what most of us don't realize is those, those words are part of a conversation that Jesus is having. And that conversation is with a guy named Nicodemus, who is an expert in, in, the, uh, in religious law. And Nicodemus basically had asked him, you know, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And that's where we get this, this, this phrase, born again. That's where Jesus says, you must be born again. And he continues on through this conversation. That's what happens when we get to John 3.16. He tells Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there is, the, there is, there is very much this idea of having a born-again experience. So what's unique, what's, what has been interesting to me, uh, as, as I've pastored people and as, as I've conversed with people, as I've talked to people, is, is, uh, is, is the, the, the different experiences people have had with their personal conversion, depending on, now get this, depending on what stream of Christianity they come from. When I was going to a Pentecostal church, every single person, and, and I did this a number of times in, in, in small groups, every person that I ever asked in that Pentecostal church could name the absolute moment when they experienced conversion. That has not been my experience in the Methodist church. Method, a, lot, a lot of Methodists say, you know, I can't remember when it happened. I, 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 don't, I don't recall that. Um, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. No doubt, no doubt it, it, it happened and it occurred, uh, but I just don't remember it. I, I, don't, I don't have that lightning bolt experience type thing. So it's, it's unique uh, among the different expressions to see how, 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 how the gospel plays out in people's lives and how conversion plays out in people's lives. Mine was one of those lightning bolt experiences. It happened almost immediately. Um, but that's not the experience with, with, with other people. Anyway, conversion. 
conversion of heart, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ throughout your lifetime is a major part of the evangelical stream. It's something that we talk about a lot in the Methodist church is this idea of sanctification. Sanctification is what? It's the process of continuing to follow Jesus throughout our lifetime, growing more and more into his image through the help of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one is activism. Activism, it's the expression and the demonstration of the gospel through our missionary efforts and through our social reform efforts. We talked about this last week a little bit with social justice. We believe in taking the gospel out to the world, not only in our words, but through our hands and through our feet by serving the least among us and the neediest among us. Those may be through missionary efforts. Those may be through social justice type efforts, anything. But we are very, very well known for, our, for, for sharing the gospel, again, not only through our words, but through our, our hands and our feet and our actions. So that's kind of the lowdown on the evangelical stream. Uh, you can go with this very, very long seminary-type definition that I just gave you, or you can, you can consider this. This is another definition that was provided by another historian by the name of George Marsden. He summed up the evangelical tradition as this. He, he said, being an evangelical is anybody who likes Billy Graham. So... Y'all take that home, forget all this fancy stuff that I just said, and just, and just know that. That's what you need to know. So let's roll into the incarnational tradition. And I'm going to be honest here. This, is, uh, this particular tradition is one I'm, I'm very fond of. I'm very endeared to it. Uh, but for some reason, though, I've, I've had a difficult time breaking it down and, and describing it. It's, kind of like, it's one of those situations where you... You know what you want to say, but you just don't, don't know how to adequately kind of, you know, put it in the words. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, is bear with me here. I'm going to do the best that I can, and, and in the end, I, I hope it makes sense. Uh, so once again, let's go back to the first time that we talked about the, uh, the various streams and the uh, definition that I gave you the first week of the incarnational stream. So emphasizing the embodiment of Christ's love in the world, the incarnational stream encourages us to see every aspect of life as sacred. It calls us to serve and to engage with the world around us, infusing our daily activities with a sense of purpose and with a sense of mission. Now, you guys can see that I have a couple phrases up there in bold and italicized uh, and underlined. It, no matter how poorly of a job I do describing this thing this morning, if you don't take anything else home from what I say, take home these two things because this really is, is, is the overall emphasis of what this incarnational Transit, uh, stream is all about embodiment and seeing every aspect of life as sacred. So let me flesh that out just a little bit for you. At its very core, the incarnational stream of Christianity revolves around our belief in what we refer to as the incarnation. This belief that God literally became human. In Jesus Christ, God was incarnated. He was embodied through a person, physically. John 1.14 says this in regards to the incarnation. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So this is where this whole idea of the incarnational tradition, Jesus, God was incarnated through Jesus Christ, and as such, just as Jesus incarnates, or just as Jesus embodies all that God is, so too are we also called to embody everything that Jesus is as his followers. Embody. Embody. 
This is the stuff that we have talked about over and over and over, time and time and, and time again here at Bemis. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, to not take seriously Jesus' call to follow him in every aspect of our lives is not optional. If we're going to call ourselves Christians to take, not take seriously our call to follow Christ in every aspect of our life is absolutely not optional. And I do mean every area. And this is kind of where that second part of the incarnational stream comes into play, seeing every aspect of life as sacred. Church, there is no such thing as our church life and the other parts of our lives. There's no such thing as our spiritual lives and the rest of our lives. We don't come to church on Sunday morning, worship and claim to be Christ's followers, and then check all that stuff at the door when we exit. We take it out into the world that we live in because every part of the world, every part of our lives are sacred. If Jesus tells me to love my neighbor as myself, I love my neighbor as myself. My family, my co-workers, teachers, parents, bosses, even complete strangers. Our love for humanity, our love for all of God's creation that Jesus calls us to extend into the way that we approach and think about other things. All kind of life issues, these things come into play. What we think about economics, what we think about politics, what we think about our social beliefs. Our call to love our neighbor as ourselves is our biggest calling in life. This call determines how we see the world around us, and this call determines how we respond to it. The very first question we should ask ourselves, the very first question we should be asking ourselves in every life situation is how do my thoughts, how do my opinions, how does my outlook, how do my actions reflect Jesus' greatest commandment to love God with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. Every aspect of life, every, let me say that a thousand times, every aspect of life, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, not just our personal relationships, but the way that we view everything, the way we approach everything, is grounded in two commandments if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves Christians. To me, to not believe that and to not do that, to not put some effort into doing that, there is no greater form of heresy. And I know that's a bold statement for me to make. And that's not a word that you find me using very often. But I can't really think of a better or a stronger word for it. To deny our incarnational call is to deny the very gospel of Jesus Christ himself. Repent. Jesus says time and time and time again in the Gospels, repent, literally, rethink what you're doing. Rethink how you're thinking. That's what that word means. And I'll throw out another big word for you, metanoia. That's what the word repent means in Greek. And it literally means to rethink and turn around and go the other way. How many times did Jesus tell us in the Gospels, rethink your ways, turn away from your ways and turn to my ways.
Turn away from self-seeking. Turn away from hatred. Turn away from greed. Turn away from vengeance. Turn away from hypocrisy. Turn away from apathy. Turn away from neglecting the needy. Show the world who I am. Embrace and live out my ways of love and my ways of grace. Church, from the time that we get up in the morning, from the time that we plant our feet on that floor when we get out of bed till the time that we go to, to sleep at night, we have a choice as we move throughout the world to embody this call or not. And it is a choice. Every thought that we have, every word that comes out of our mouths, every conversation that we have, every work task that we do, every single decision that we make. Let me say it again. Every single decision that we make is a spiritual decision. And it's also a choice. Choices that are determined whether or not we are going to embody the incarnated, crucified, and resurrected Jesus or whether or not we are going to go our own way. Every single thing. There is no such thing as the non-spiritual. All of life is spiritual. There is no separation between the, the, the holy and the secular, the sacred and the secular. Everything about our lives is spiritual. That's what it means to incarnate Jesus, to live embodied lives, to live incarnated lives, to follow Jesus' greatest commandments, greatest calls in every single thing that we do. Every single decision that we make. Now, in order to be able to practice this thing, in order to be, to be able to practice this stream, and it's not—it's not easy. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I embody this all the time, but I want to. At least I've got that. I want to. I recognize my deficiencies a lot of times. Some of them I'm sure I don't even recognize. But I want to become that. I recognize how bad I fail, how bad I falter, how much I fall short of loving God with my whole heart, loving my neighbor and myself. I recognize it, and I want to be better. And I want to be more like Jesus. So that's your starting point. I know nobody's ever going to get it all right in this lifetime. But we should want to, church. If we don't want to, we've got to ask ourselves some serious questions. Some serious questions. Now, in order to practice this, again, it's simple, but it's not easy, like so much in Christianity. But in order to practice this stream, in order to accept the call to reflect Christ in all things, to fully take in the reality of every moment being sacred, we are going to have to talk to God. And we're going to have to talk to God a lot. And we're going to have to work for it until it becomes second nature for us. Recognizing God in every aspect, Jesus in every aspect, every moment of our lives. I've, I've been reading an incredible book lately, very, very old book. It's about five or six hundred years old. It's by a guy named uh, Brother Lawrence, who was a who, who was who was basically he wasn't a preacher back 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 then. He was a, he wasn't a, a, a he wasn't clergy. He was he was a monk. Uh, but his job was a dishwasher. He was a dishwasher in the monastery. And he wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. And it's so simple and so profound at the same time. If we're going to 
live these embodied lives. We have to have constant contact with God. We have to learn to practice the presence of God. We know in our heads that God's always with us, right? I mean, we acknowledge that. We affirm that with our intellects. We know in our heads that God's with us at all times, but we need to move this knowledge from our heads to our hearts. If it's going to have any real effect on us, if it's going to have really any real effect on the way that we think and the way that we talk, the way that we move throughout the world, we need to be in constant contact with our Creator in order for us to become these things whose loving presence will move us to reflect the will of Christ. We need to embody the Apostles Paul's call to pray without ceasing. If we are going to become these things, if we are going to live these embodied, incarnated lives, turn your thoughts to God on a regular basis. This is a, such a simple practice, and this is, this is what comes back to this book that I've been reading lately. Such a simple, not easy, but such a simple practice. Continually turn your thoughts to God. I'm not talking about letting out long prayers throughout your day. You don't have to do that. But continue, when you, when you think about it, just, just turn your thoughts to God, just, just momentarily. Just momentarily. Maybe you just want to say a, a short prayer. And you can do this anywhere. You don't have to be, you don't have to be by yourself off in, off in your closet somewhere in private or whatever. You can do this anywhere. You can do this at work. You can do this at school. You can do this when you're working outside. I've been working outside sawing up trees for the past two weeks. Don't think I had not been doing this. But it's such a simple practice. Just say, God, I love you. And it redirects us. It redirects our hearts and it redirects our minds to the presence of God and to the love of God that is always with us. Just taking those brief moments those brief moments, God, I love you. Thank you, God. Simply redirecting our thoughts for just a second will have so much, will incur so much change in us. So much. Direct your thoughts to that loving presence that's always there with you. If you've never heard of the Jesus prayer, that's another, that's another really neat practice that you can do as well. It's a, it's, it, come, it comes from, uh, from the Gospels. It's straight from Scripture. Um, I, know, I know my former Catholics know the Jesus prayer very, very well. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Such a small, such a short, but such a profound prayer that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Maybe you just want to repeat that. There's, there's, in the Greek Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, that's a, that's a meditative practice for, 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 that, for that particular tradition. As they will pray using only that prayer, and they'll just pray it over and over and over and over. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's very simple, folks. The more, y'all can come on up, Kev. The more that our minds and our hearts are attuned to God's loving presence, the more we're going to reflect Him. The more we're going to reflect the heart of Christ. Let me repeat that one more time. Why are you talking about uh, 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 redirecting and directing our thoughts and our minds to God throughout our day, Jerry? This is it. The more that our minds and our hearts are attuned to the very real presence of, our, of a, our loving God, the more we are going to reflect Him. The more we are going to reflect the heart of Christ. You can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. If you're connected to God throughout your day, you can't avoid being transformed. You can't avoid reflecting this incarnational life. You'll see your behavior change. 
You'll see the way that you treat people change. You'll see the way that you view people change. I promise you, it's, it's nothing magic. Ain't nothing magic about it. It's just the presence of God. When you rest in God's presence, when you're constantly in the presence of God, you can't help but to be changed into that image. I want to